welcome to the Cycling Tips Nerd Alert Podcast. I'm Dave Rome, and this week we've got a deep dive episode on a topic that's applicable to everyone that rides a bike. Chain loop. Yes, chain loop. There are some rather, shall I say, poo-poo information floating around when it comes to chain loops. I've ridden and spoken about it plenty, and there's enough trustworthy data out there that we know without a doubt that not all chain loops are equal. And the difference between running a good chain loop suited to your riding conditions versus a poor loop can come at enormous financial cost to part replacements. And that's if you can find the parts to begin with. Arguably the most vocal of all on this topic is Adam Kieran of Zero Friction Cycling, who is the only person in the world doing independent wear-based chain loop testing. Obviously, Adam's controlled and accelerated wear testing tells us which chain loops last the longest and are best for drivetrain wear reduction. However, as I've written about before, there's a high correlation between wear and friction. After all, abrading metal takes energy. Longer lasting drivetrains, smoother shifting, less mess, fewer lost watts. A good chain loop offers it all. In August 2021, we had Adam Kieran on the podcast to dive into the murky world of chain loop testing and why some claims just don't stack up. This time, Adam joins us with a practical list of useful takeaways that your drivetrain will love and a few popular mythbusters. Hey Adam, welcome back to the Nerd Alert podcast. Thank you, Dave. Thank you for having me back on again. It really is a pleasure and an honor as always. So um, yeah, fun to talk about my fun little area. Great. All right. Well, planning to keep this show pretty quick and uh, and easy. So what's the best chain loop? Yeah, that's um, as many of great <laughs> Sorry, that says, it me. depends. That it. <laughs> uh, anyway, no, what we're going to do, we're going to go, um, recently you put together a document that you've published, which is your your key learnings of Chainlobe through, through many years of testing the stuff. Yes. And basically through that, you can make some pretty precise recommendations on what lubes are great, what lubes aren't, and in what conditions you may use one versus the other. Um, so with that, I guess, yeah, let's sort of kick off the list. Um, top of my list from your document is to not underestimate the drivetrain cost um, that you can experience by running different chain lubricants. Yes, How, absolutely. What are we talking about here? What's, what's, what are the extremes? Uh, they can be really big. So uh, again, it's a bit of a it depends, but um, because you can go from just comparing say road group sets riding in you know good sunny uh, conditions in which case your penalties for the wrong lubricant may not be as bad they can still be pretty bad but um not as bad as for instance using the wrong lubricant choice in more you know sort of harsh conditions so you know off-road or wet um and it's also going to depend a lot on uh, how expensive your drivetrain is so um you know there's there's a lesser penalty for running the wrong lubricant choice on Shimano 105 or Tiagra versus, you know, Axis Road and, uh, you know, Eagle XX1, things like that. So, but in, yeah, in short though, it's it's a lot bigger than than what most would think. Um, and so as part of the lubricant testing that we do, so uh, with my test being wear correlation based, so really seeing the performance of the lubricants through the different test blocks, um, then we're able to factor in based on that chain wear rate, you know, and we know what, you know, when you're running worn chains, what that does to your cassette and your chain rings. Um, so from that, we're able to really model out what your sort of cost to run is going to be um, for uh, particular group sets and uh, and riding uh, demographics. And yeah, it's just something that um, I think there's still a fairly large um, 
or can be a fairly large sort of view among cyclists that, uh, you know, they kind of just all work as long as I'm putting something on, then things will be, things will be okay. Um, and that really the gap between the, the proven top known lubricants tested and the, you know, the medium or average performers and your worst performers, yeah, it really adds up to a lot of money, especially if you're actually clocking up any sort of decent kilometers. And um, it's just there's so much more fun things to spend your money on, um, such as, <laughs> you know, coveting that new helmet or glasses or kit or shoes, um, cycling holiday, rather than burning it on, you know, easily avoided wear on your on your drivetrain. So, yep. And that's if you can get the parts to begin with. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's getting pretty pretty tough out there i think it's still getting worse at the moment um i've been trying to get a couple of bits just for my own bike builds and um you know trying to get some stuff we're looking at like august and yeah it's uh it's definitely apart from the financial incentive um it's yeah i just with a little bit of focus it can be really easy to save uh you know you're having to go out and buy some expensive bits unnecessarily and and just have them going a lot longer so give me some numbers here like you what's what's in your testing what's kind of the the most longevity you've seen from a chain like what's the biggest distance and then what's the the shortest distance so yeah this now remember i guess my test is um more of an accelerated wear test so um the best tested lubricants have made it through to the the end of the test which is six thousand kilometers that and at the end of the test there is an extreme contamination block um they've made it through to the end of that um anywhere really between sort of around only using 30% of their wear rate allowance. Um, whereas the worst have used over 140% of their wear rate allowance after just 2000 kilometers into the test. So um, pretty huge difference. So in what that means for real world cycling, you really have to take because the, the actual test itself um, you know, has dry contamination blocks. It's got wet contamination blocks. So we're really trying to assess everything. If you only ride in the dry and you're on a top lubricant, then it is not uncommon at all. And we get a lot of data for this from customers where, um, you know, they're getting 15 to 20,000 kilometers out of a chain to get to the recommended 0.5% wear mark. And on a number of the worst lubricants, then people are ripping past that 0.5% within a couple of thousand kilometers. Um, and they leave that too far past. Even by two to three thousand kilometers, they're up for new chain rings and new cassette, which is a pretty big bill in such a short time. Yeah, just purely through abrasion, right? Not even that it's getting. Yeah. Um, not that it's like ride the chain stretch and it's riding on the edges of the tooth. It's just so abrasive that it wears away. Correct. Uh, it's it is both. So um, I haven't done yeah. uh, specific measuring of the, of the cassette wear through the tests uh, just from the actual pure abrasion part, but it is something that, for instance, if I test. Um, a particular lubricant to a certain point in the test and it's it's still under 0.5 that there's nearly no wear at all on the cassette and rings and I can use them again uh, whereas others it's yeah it's eating them right from pretty much the gun so um, that that's going to be more of an impact for those that are that are riding say gravel and, and mountain bike and so on if you're getting a lot of that dust contamination stick to the lubricant you've just got a really gritty paste as an interface between your roller and your teeth so that even if the chain is not worn where it's running on the tips and starting to eat in that way it still does a lot of damage so yeah yeah right that's obviously that's substantial and that's exactly why you're you're here and why we're talking about this stuff so let's move on to the next thing on the list which is uh you're not a fan of factory grease on chains the the lubricant or the grease that kind of comes with the comes out of the packaging and that 
most people just slap on the new chain and ride straight away. Yeah. Why, uh, what's wrong with this stuff? Yeah, so this has actually been fun to hear that it's come up as a couple of the Ask a Mechanic questions that you've answered recently on the, uh, the Nerd Alert podcast. So I think we're, we're slowly, hopefully, getting some uh, penetration of the information that really the best thing that you can do uh, from the start is to remove the factory grease. It's like in and of itself as a lubricant, it's not terrible. It's not great compared to the top lubricants that we now have on the market, but it's not uh, terrible. The problem is, is that it is a bit of a contamination magnet. So very quickly, I guess the gap between the factory grease and the top known lubricants, which is already fairly, fairly decent, that gap is going to get a lot bigger very quickly. And so you've got, I guess, really two main parts. One is that you're going to experience many times the wear, um, even if you're riding in good conditions with factory grease versus one of the top known lubricant choices that, that we've uh, tested. Um, and secondly is that if you are planning on running a top lubricant choice, then you just can't really add that over the top of the factory grease. They just don't mix well. So um, any of the, especially the top chain coating lubricants and waxes, it's, it's like mixing oil and water basically. They're just not going to mix. Uh, like the chain coating can't do what it's designed to do, which is form a nice solid slippery coating of your chain parts. You're just going to end up with a gunky mess. Um, but even the top drip lubes, um, they can improve the factory crease, but you're kind of putting lipstick on a pig, so to speak. You're, um, you're adding a really great lubricant on top of something that's nowhere near as good and ending up with a mix that's just nowhere near what it would be if you simply ran the top lubricant. So, yeah, step one is just to get that factory grease off all the time. Okay. Uh, and what sort of uh, figures have you seen in your testing? I know you've you've tested some factory factory greases. You're seeing wear happen yeah. relatively quickly? Yeah, pretty much. So like in the clean block of testing, then uh, so for instance, Shimano factory grease, which is, which is definitely one of the better ones. Um, it's not so glue-like as, as some other brands. Uh, that came out yeah. at basically And they've recently 11%. changed that, I think it's worth mentioning. Yeah, yeah, the last, I think it was a few years ago. So it's a lot, it is a lot slicker now than, yeah. um, than the earlier days. Yeah. Uh, but even that, so in the first, um, the first block, which is, which is really almost like running on an ergo, like it's, it's, it's less exposed to contamination than it would be um, running outside. Uh, that came out at basically 11% wear in that first 1,000 Ks versus the top drip lube tested to date in the first block. Um, would be synergetic at zero percent, and then we've got quite a number of other top lubricants that are, you know, well under five percent or around the five percent mark. So you can get, you know, anywhere from, you know, sort of from zero to, you know, many times less the wear, even in perfect conditions. And from there, it just gets quite a bit worse. So by the end of block two, the factory grease is basically at over thirty percent wear, uh, whereas the top lubricants are still in the low single digits. Um, so it's yeah, it's not it's not something that's not re really even close, and um, I know it may seem to some like it's a pain in the butt, but um, I think to your question or the questions that came up as well with the nerd alert, there are some products that um, are, are out there now. They're not cheap, but they are basically designed to and they promise to do a perfect job of cleaning the factory grease off your bike. Uh, sorry, off the chain whilst it's on your bike without needing to. I guess follow what's more, more my traditional recommended method of removing it so you can soak it in, in like mineral terps to, to do a perfect job. So, um, you know, there's UFO Clean um, and I know that there's some of the other, uh, I guess, brands that make top lubricants also make some, um, you know, products now that are designed to 
know, dissolve that factory grease off, which is uh, not an easy challenge. It's pretty stubborn stuff. So, um, but they're designed to be able to spray it on and you know let it do its work for a little bit and rinse it through, and uh, then you're going to be good to go with the with the lubricant. I haven't tested these claims because I just flat out haven't had the time to try to get to that. But um, some fairly reputable people have assured me that that does actually work as they as they claim. You're just paying a lot of money for those cleaners. Yeah, that um, that Ceramic Speed UFO clean. I know they that Ceramic Speed apparently use larger vats of that themselves for uh, their chain prep. Yeah. So yeah, I mean it's it's not cheap, but it no. definitely does work. Yeah, I think you have to be fairly liberal. Like I'm still more, you know, putting something in a container to soak is definitely going to get the factory grease out from deep inside the chain. You know, from really from where you really need to get it out from, you know, where the pins and the uh, inner plate link uh, shoulders are. Uh, spraying it on, um, I think you're going to have to be pretty liberal. But um, they do assure me that it does do what they claim to do. Yep. So, but yeah, I guess uh, to summarise is uh, if you are putting on a new chain yourself, do it off the bike first. Yes, and merge it. Yeah, and do it do it from basically new because when it's brand new, your amount of product use is going to be quite low. Um, even if you do like one or two rides, you're just going to get it so black and gunky. You're going to quadruple the amount of product you got to pump through it to get it perfectly clean. And um, yeah, so do it for new. And it's one of those things that it will pay you back for that that little bit of time investment. It's going to pay you back big time. Uh, so yeah, like I said, it's not even a close race. Um, and yeah, you're going to have a much better time with your chosen top loop. Okay. I think it's worth just quickly mentioning that uh, pretty much all chain brands recommend that you keep the factory lube on there and you don't degrease it. And I think it basically comes back to that they're assuming that people won't re-lube their chain correctly after they remove the grease and that you'll be riding a dry chain. Uh, they're basically making the assumption that whatever, you know, you're, you're probably going to put some low quality product on there that's not going to penetrate behind the roller and into the link. And therefore, you're going to end up doing damage to your drivetrain. Um, but I think everyone listening here will will understand how to correctly lube a chain that it's it's safe to remove that factory grease and to to get better performance by doing so. Yeah, hopefully so. And I, and on this one, like there has been a lot of you know, I guess what I would call sort of the just misinformation that's been put out by some pretty major uh, media channels because it's sponsored content. You know, they've got somebody who is one of the chain manufacturers you know, basically paying them for, um, you know, for that sort of time slot. So um, if a really major channel puts out that removing the factory grease is is a terrible idea, then a lot of people are going to follow that advice. And so, yeah, working hard to try to set the record uh, on that. And I actually have data to uh, to prove which one's correct. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and what Adam's referring to wasn't us. No. So, right. um, <laughs> all right. Uh, you mentioned, so factory lube is a, you mentioned it's a bit of a contamination magnet, which brings up the next point, which is uh, you're really not a fan of people using wet lubricants to ride off road or in any sort of dirty condition. Um, firstly, can you define what a wet lubricant is? Yeah. So, I mean, that's probably the most common still that people use. Uh, so basically it's a, a lubricant that comes out of the bottle wet and just stays wet. So it's not like, say, um, a chain coating or wax emulsion lube that has a carrier or solvent that's designed to evaporate off and leave um, just a, a much drier or solid lubrication layer behind. It just stays wet. And, um, yeah, I guess it, when I started, it was always obviously a, a fairly strong theory of mine that wet lubricants wouldn't be a great choice for um, use off-road because – it's just going to be physics that every particle of dust is going to stick to that wet lubricant and become part of that that lubricant. 
Um, but really now as the testing has gone on sort of, you know, five odd years in now as, as we've sort of got more and more data of, you know, how lubricants perform through that, especially that dry contamination block too, and how do wet lubricants stack up to the top non-wet lubricants that we've tested. Uh, again, it's just it's not even a close race. So we've got, if I compare, say, the top five um, non-wet lubricants to the top five wet lubricants tested so far, the non-wet lubricants are coming in at basically 10 times lower wear rate um, through that test block versus the, and that's versus the top uh, wet lubricants tested, not the, <laughs> you know, not very well performing uh, wet lubricants. So, you know, many really do become quite a grinding pace quite quickly. And um, it's one of those things where I guess that like in, if people think about it a little bit, it, you know, on the surface, that shouldn't really be a surprise, but it's still, it's amazing how many wet lubricant products are marketed specifically to, you know, say mountain bike, um, you know, demographic where just like sort of keep keep adding this and uh, and people just really just don't realise how much uh, less wear they could save by going to a, a top non-wet uh, lube choice. Yeah, and I think it's worth mentioning that uh, the industry has kind of confused consumers over this because uh, brands like Finish Line and Muck Off, they advertise wet versus dry as being a condition thing, not necessarily what the lubricant itself is. Right, so yes. both finish line and muck off their their dry lubricants and in inverted commas is uh are actually wet lubricants. Yes. Yeah. So and yeah, there's a lot of stuff where and there's so many really inaccurate marketing claims that are in this space where you've got lubricants that are claiming that they clean as they lubricate. So people will sort of take that on marketing value and think, okay, this is cool. If I just keep adding more, then it's cleaning out the grit that I just, you know, uh, accumulated on my last uh, ride. And, yeah, really we've, we've proven pretty conclusively that that, that just does not happen. Um, and, the you know, more often what, what's actually, actually happening is that when you're re-lubricating, uh, especially with wet lubricants, you've got all this abrasive gunk on the that's stuck to the outside is you're actually importing a lot of that during your next re-lube to inside the chain um, which really doesn't help, obviously. So you've just got now because it, it, do, it doesn't matter how good. So there's a lot of stuff out these days where lubricants can go through what's called a Brugger test, where they have the um, the, the cylinder bearing and a grinding wheel, um, and they <clears throat> put the lubricant on the bearing and they put the grinding wheel down, and they can they measure the wear scar to see how you know that lubricant was able to hold up. And lubricants with you know some really impressive sort of film strengths do a, do a great job of of resisting that wear, but once you start getting abrasive contamination as part of your lubricant, the pressures inside your chain, because the parts are really small, they can literally go up into the thousands of PSI. It doesn't matter what the film strength is of a wet lubricant, that contamination is going to be pressed through it and it's going to be abrading against your chain metal and it's, it's just flat out going to wear. So the, the key is to stop the contamination being part of the lubricant. Um, so stopping absorbing the contamination to begin with is the key. So um, I remember Jason Smith of uh, Friction Facts days used to say that if in doubt, always just add more lube because that is going to be the lowest friction yes. option versus yeah. not lubricating the chain. But you're basically saying that that while that may actually reduce friction, it it's not helping at all with reducing wear. Uh, well, it does reduce the friction for a little bit. So in his testing, it's basically, okay, we've got this um, dirty chain and we've re-lubed it and now the, uh, the efficiency rate's better. What they've done is they've basically just improved the ratio of lubrication to contamination temporarily. Um, so 
once you get past that sort of lab-based test, once you go out there and clock up another few hours, things are going to be still continuing to trend worse. So if you were to get, say, a friction uh, rate at the end of each, say, you know, few hundred kilometres, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Okay, gotcha. All right, so dry lubes are better. Real dry lubes are better at yeah. uh, off-road conditions or, or really anywhere where contamination is, is an issue. Yeah. Uh, what, what are some great examples of such a dry lube? So top, as we all sort of mentioned, are your immersive waxes. So uh, things like your um, molten speed wax and, and hot melt. So uh, they're obviously solid. So they've got the you know, greatest contamination resistance possible for such conditions. And then every time you re-wax, you reset anything that's in there anyway. Your next best are what we call your true um, chain coating type lubricants, which are so your UFO drip, um, your super secret drip. Yep. So that's that's ceramic speed and silica. Yep. Yes. Yep. And so they they have a lot of tech. So they've, they've moved on a long way from the old days um, of just say traditional wax emulsion lube. So they have carriers in their design to basically you know uh, evaporate off and leave basically a solid you know chain coating behind really mimicking what immersive waxing is doing but in a bottle um, and they have exceptional contamination resistance so it is still great to periodically clean those but yes your cleaning intervals are pretty far between because just so little gets in each time especially if you're following tips so even doesn't matter what lubricant you're using so if you're using like a chain coating lubricant uh, like those mentioned or uh, something that probably more familiar with like your squirt and smooth and things like that um when you're riding out in, in dirt and dust, even if you've got a solid uh, coating on, dust is going to stick to your chain from static of your chain whizzing through the air, just like dust sticks to your bicycle frame and you don't lubricate your bicycle frame. So using something like uh, isopropyl alcohol or methylated spirits on a microfiber cloth just to wipe the chain and lift off that surface dust, and then that will save you from importing that dust inside your chain when you reapply your lubricant, and that just really helps minimise that. So um, following sort of some good practices with those top lubricants, you can, you can just get some still outstandingly low wear rates for a very long time and very periodic maintenance uh, on those and, and you're fine. Um, you do have, yeah, your traditional wax emulsion lubes which have a water-based carrier, so they're a different kind of wax base. They don't go a true solid, but they're more like a, uh, I guess what you call almost like a, a paste, um, which is sort of more like your squirt and smooth. And But, yeah, the traditional dry lubes, like you say, finish line dry, mark off dry, which are mostly carrier um, and a very, very small amount of lubricant, then they just don't go well. Even though they may not attract as much contamination, there's just too little actual lubrication in those type of lubricants to um, to effectively you know, prevent chain wear. So that's the, the dry lubes. Um, when is it okay to use a wet lube? So, yeah, you can use wet lube uh, for off-road. Um, there, there are times when that may be desirable. So... Um, one of the things with some of the, especially your, um, your chain coating lubricants, as brilliant as they are, their lifespans may struggle for some really long stuff. Um, so, you know, some of your longer lasting wet lubricants can, uh, you know, really go the distance. I mean, they are going to increase, you know, in their efficiency losses over time because they are going to be having some contamination stick. But, you know, an increase of, say, a couple of watts um, over the period of a very long, you know, rider event in the dust is definitely going to be better than having your lubricant run out of puff and have a 10 watt increase because your chain's starting to run metal on metal. So there are times when definitely that's going to be 
you know, sort of the better of the two options. And um, uh, yeah, and there are some new options coming out. So I've actually been doing a lot of testing for like a, one, in, one in particular um, for Rex, their black diamond lubricant with their race day spray. I'll be putting out some more information on that, but that stuff just goes long like you wouldn't believe in the, the race day spray actually turn this is the the only case where I've seen where we get a we black diamond as it is is a wet lubricant. You apply the race day spray, it turns it into a dry lubricant. Um, so it's got the same basically dust contamination resistance as if you're running a, a chain coating or a um or a wax, but it just goes and goes and goes and goes. So you you'd be able to do about four dirty cans back to back uh, with that treatment and um, or unbound gravel, I should say. So just, yes, yeah, just amazingly long lifespan. So yeah, I'll be putting out some more info on that. But yeah, the short version though is that there's, there are some great options really on the market these days that probably people may not have really been aware of when they have just been merrily dripping on more wet lube and going out, um, turning that merrily into a grinding paste uh, for their drivetrain. And yeah, definitely time to have a look. Yeah, okay. Uh, so the industry often tells people use a wet lube when it's wet, use a dry lube when it's dry. We've covered why that's not necessarily true uh, or why that's misleading. But what would you use in wet weather? Yeah, so this one gets really interesting in that um, I guess there, there's probably two real key factors to, to take into account here. So the first is just understanding how extreme I guess a lubrication challenge that is. Um, you know, your bicycle chain is completely exposed to now some pretty horrendous conditions for a lubricant to try to keep a very high load part with so many moving bits to it nicely lubricated in a low friction way. Because your front wheel, your front tire basically is hosing your chain with gritty road water uh, coming off the ground. And that's going to run right through your chain and it's going to become part, you know, so all lubricants are going to struggle no matter the choice. They're going to get all this stuff thrown into them and it's going to become part of the lubricant. So part one is really just, I guess, understanding that that challenge and go, right, I've ridden in the wet. Of So you've sort of got a choice of, okay, I can have a lubricant that does a really good job for a particular ride. So it gets through start to finish and it's done an admirable job of keeping things pretty good. But, you know, knowing that by the end of that ride now, you've obviously got something that's much more, you know, sort of high friction and abrasive than when you started and so part two is really what happens next. So how do I try to maintain this lubricant in a low friction state for my next rides? And, you know, how often am I going to be riding in the wet again? So really from there, you are going to, I guess, pay the piper in one of two ways. You're going to pay the piper in sort of chain friction and wear if you just keep adding lube without resetting the contamination that's now in your chain. Or you can pay the piper by spending a little bit of time to reset the contamination in your chain. So if you ride frequently in the wet, so you know things are different if it's an occasional I get caught out in the wet versus I'm training in you know uh, Europe through winter um, and it's I'm constantly hitting hitting some harsh conditions. So in those in that latter situation, it's really a matter of what lubricant is the easiest to maintain in a low friction state. How do I most easily reset the contamination that's now in my chain ready for the next rides um, so that I'm not just turning this into uh, into liquid sandpaper? And that's where, so I think like one of the um, the biggest misconceptions from my side is that uh, it's often been touted that, for instance, say immersive waxing is not suitable for uh, wet weather riding. 
And my yep. view on it is really is that because of corrosion normally. Yeah, yeah, because of corrosion and just the fact that really you do need to do yep. it basically at the, after each ride. So with with a lot of your mm-hmm. waxes and, and immersive waxes, so the wax will be abraded off the outside of the roller first. Um, and the your bicycle chain rollers are a pretty high high carbon steel, so they they will oxidize or start to rust pretty readily if you just sort of finish your ride, park your bike, and leave it overnight. You'll come back to some nice spot rusting on your rollers. So it's something where a lot of people think, oh, that's just not suitable. I, I do a wet ride and I come back the next day and my chain's rusting, so this is this is not good. So it's just really understanding, I guess, what what you need to do with each sort of lubricant type. So with immersive waxing, it's just simply when you get back home wipe the chain, pop the chain off, put it in your pot of wax and turn the pot on. And then from there, really, things are going to take care of itself. So the old contaminated coating is going to melt off and you're going to have a new coating uh, put on and things are going to be uh, in a really good spot again for your next ride. Um, your wax, the wax in the wax pot will get worse and worse over time, but it takes a long time because you've got hundreds of mil of lubricant in there as opposed to a few mil on your actual chain with, with just a normal uh, drip lubricant. So, but the advantage of that though is that, you know, you're able to reset the contamination without having to do anything other than just pop it into a pot and basically turn the pot on. When it comes to drip lubricants, be it a wax lubricant, be it a wet lubricant, to reset that chain now after your wet ride just flat out takes flushing some stuff through that's going to actually clean the chain. So uh, that is often going to be far more time consuming and far more costly versus if you were to just pop it in a pot and uh, and turn it on. So, um, and in the key learnings documents, so it might probably be a bit long to sort of go through here because it's a bit of a long topic, but there's a bunch of other sort of hints and tips to um, how to help people with, it's like, okay, I, I really understand why this immersive waxing might be really good, but I can't I can't see myself re-waxing post every wet ride or every day. That's just not going to be feasible. So there's a bunch of hints and tips in there for what you can do. Um, to make that a whole lot easier but if not going that route and you're sticking with a a lubricant that you're going to drip on then just be aware that really you're going to want to be doing some intervention on that if you can't do it obviously probably doing it every time is not going to be feasible but just know the more you do it and the better you do it it's going to save you a ton of wear because otherwise things just do get really bad really quickly and this is where you get people resorting to oh look I'm just going to run a cheap group set and hammer it and kill it and then replace the whole lot um, after the winter. And that's fine if that works for you. Um, if you're okay to ride a really poorly <laughs> performing and running drivetrain for a couple of months, um, but other people may not have that option. They've got a good bike with good bits and you just don't want to destroy those uh, through your sort of winter training. So, um, yeah, so that one's, if anything, I would say if you do live in those countries and you are faced with these conditions a lot, have a read of that sort of key learning section um, on the document on the website because I do go through all the ins and outs of the options for what to do. Okay. Okay. Uh, and I guess like for for a brief answer is, um, yeah, something like a, a very nice wet lubricant. It's, it's great, but you are going to collect a lot of contamination and you need to reset that basically. So, yes. yeah. So, yeah. So a lot of the, the I guess, what are marketed as your uh, wet conditions lubricants, you know, a, a big part of why they're sort of marketed that way is they do cling pretty tenaciously to your chain. They're not going to get washed off by riding in those conditions. 
So that's great on one point, but that same attribute that has them cling tenaciously to your chain, they're, they're obviously going to, every bit of contamination is going to cling tenaciously to that lubricant. So it's just going to get worse and worse. And when you, and again, any claims of a lubricant cleaning as it lubricates, like if you re-lube that chain with that same lube, you're going to be adding, say, three mil to five mil of lubricant across over 100 links. You're adding basically 0.03-ish mil of lubricant per link back onto your chain. There is only so much flushing that 0.03 mil per link can do to the contamination that's in there. And that is obviously very, very limited versus if you get something that's going to actually flush through that chain. And, and this is where, you know, um, even if you've just got to get, say, some uh, spray degreaser from your auto shop, which will cost you about $3 a can as opposed to the $20 for off, off a lot of bike branded products because of the, the bike tax, um, you know, you can actually just put some amount of cleaning stuff through your chain, flush out at least, you know, some, some bulk of it um, and reset things back a bit um, as opposed to relying on such a tiny amount per link of lubricant to do the cleaning as it lubes, which it's just not going to do. Yep. Okay. Uh, you mentioned immersive waxing. Uh, you're, you've kind of got a reputation out there as being uh, almost the king of the topic. Um, can you tell me why you believe it? It remains the uh, the untouched uh, pinnacle, the benchmark of the of lubricant choices. Yeah, you know, it would be easier if there was a drip lube product that um, that smashed immersive waxing, and I could um, beat that drum uh, instead. But yeah, it's just one of these things where I, I guess I'm I do find myself uh, talking a fair bit in the immersive wax space, just simply because there are uh, one, it's it is king by a pretty big margin overall. Um, and two, there's just a lot of misinformation about it. So, but the really the reason why it's king, and the reason why drip lubricants have have a lot of trouble trying to sort of you know match it, is that basically every time you rewax, whatever contamination is in that you know sort of old coating just melts off, and you recoat the chain with a fresh, super slippery uh, coating of solid wax. And and as long as you stay on top of the rewax intervals, which is pretty easy, the 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 waxes these days. Um, do have a pretty decent lifespan. Um, basically, all parts of your chain are always articulating or sliding on a solid, super slippery surface of wax, and the chain metal is really not coming into play. Uh, so you just get unmatched longevity. Um, and every time your chain comes out of the wax pot, it looks brand new again. So you don't have to do you know, that cleaning maintenance, always trying to fight the black mess that you often get with obviously a lot of wet lubes. It's just everything is just super clean all the time. Yeah, certainly from my experience, uh, chain waxing has a bit of a bad rap for being like, you know, the type of thing that only the most uh, obsessive would do, that it's such a time-consuming thing that people do. But in reality, the only time-consuming part of it is the initial chain prep, which is to get the factory grease off. And you can skip that by just buying a pre-prep chain from someone like yourself. Uh, And then at that point, you basically your bike never sees the need for degreaser from that day on. Yes. Uh, and right. it's it's like the, the cogs stay clean. You can rub your leg up and down it all you like and not have to worry about being the joke of your bunch. Um, and yeah, really? and the result is basically that every time you need to relube, you undo a master link, you drop your chain in a pot, put it back on, and you make up whatever time you lost by prepping the chain in the first place, you've made up tenfold. Yeah, absolutely. So then months. The two biggest, I guess, the biggest, broadest misconceptions are, number one, that it doesn't make that much difference, mm-hmm. um, which, again, we just have so much 
data and proof that versus your you know sort of typical drip loops it makes an enormous difference to your drivetrain uh, longevity uh, and you know by extension your cost to run um, and the second big myth is that it's hard uh, and time consuming and, and really the realms of you know sort of the one percent of people who at that time when in reality it is just oh so easy once you've done it uh, a couple of times popping your chain on and pop it in a pot and then back onto the bike it is it is just super easy um and there are other little hidden hidden gems that that come with it such as when you pop the chain off your bike you can just so easily give you a crank and spin with your finger and make sure the bottom bracket bearings are feeling okay you can spin the jockey wheels make sure they're all smooth and light you know spin the back wheel and hold the axle um because without the the free hub noise in there you can just tell uh, your back wheel bearings nice and smooth which normally you can't so especially for people that do ride in harsh conditions a lot, they get caught out with bearings going to, you know, not great very easily. And if you notice it, it's just a check that, that you just do every time you pop your chain off, takes 20 seconds. Um, if things start to go not great and you get onto your bearings, um, you save them from being destroyed. Whereas if you ride them, you know, with grit in there for a while, then you're up for new bearings. So there's just all little things like that. It's just a great skill to learn, like learning how to easily pop your chain on and off is something that, that everybody should be doing regardless of if they're immersive waxing. But, yeah, again, it's just to add a little bonus that immersive waxers just get, you know, get used to and, uh, and get to know very quickly. Yeah, great. Sounds like you've been working. Uh, you're, you're paid off by big bearing there. Trying to <laughs> right, encourage yeah. everyone to take their chain off and yeah. find out that their bearings need replacing. Yeah, oh, so, you would not believe uh, you. how many races will, uh, you know, come in for a, a wax chain and you pop the chain off and it's like the, the bearing feel like something that Fred Flintstone made for their bottom bracket and they've got a jockey wheel that's that's barely turning. It's like, my goodness, how many races have you done like this? And when people just leave their chain on for, you know, 5,000 kilometres, when things go, they just they just don't notice. Um, and then, yeah, it's happy days when they're onto low friction again. So, but, yeah, it is a good thing. Again, even just from cost to run, especially if you've got nice bearings, um, it's, it's great to just not grind them. Uh, and damage them if you can detect very quickly that there's something that's not as good as it should be. Because uh, and you you do you get that feel very quickly and easy. It's like you can feel if a bearing is starting to go rough, dry, notchy, and uh, and get onto that. So yeah, uh, definitely a, a good thing. And even if you're not uh, immersive waxing, it's a good reminder that uh, you should try that. Take a chain off a bike and yes, check it out. Yes, and yeah, especially post if you've done a bunch of wet rides and things like that. Just make sure grit hasn't got in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'll also add another, another benefit, which is, um, setting up rear disc brakes to be rub free is a mm-hmm. lot easier without the chain on distracting you with yes. the free hub noise. So if you're waxing a chain and you've got disc brakes, you, you've got the perfect opportunity to, uh, perfectly align your, your, your brake and, and make sure that it's, it's not rubbing. So, uh, another, another win for the, for the, the wax pot users. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, basically Let's let's move on. So let's um, we've got obviously immersive waxing. Uh, I've written about the subject to death. You've written about the subject to death. Yes. If you if people want to know more about that, we've uh, yeah zero friction cycling has the information. Cycling tips has the information. Head to yeah. either one of them. Head to both. And um, um, I'll make one last uh, last point on on that yeah. is that we've got options now that we didn't have really when I first started this journey. So with the advent of some of the top chain coating lubricants like. Um, say UFO, Silka, SS Drip, um, True Tension Tungsten or Weather also is extremely good in this one, is that, you know, if popping your chain on and off every time you need to re your chain is just simply a bridge too far for you, 
you've got your, your next best fallback option is to say wax, re-lube the next three, five lubricants with a top chain coating lubricant that is immersive wax compatible like those lubricants, and then say do a re-wax after say your third or fifth um, uh, you know, treatment of that to reset any contamination that has penetrated in there. And so that, that can be a great sort of fallback option for those where doing it every time is just not for them. So, you know, especially for your off-road, um, you know, with mountain bikers and, and so on, that, that having that ability to just have a few lubes in between the rewaxes, that just really gets them over the line and gets them onto just, yes, so much lower wear path and everything, again, is still super clean and all the other advantages. So it's still not quite as good as always immersive waxing but it's a it is a mighty fine second place and uh, and way to go and just to reiterate a tip that you mentioned earlier which is to remove any dust that collects on the outside of the yes. chain with yeah. the microfiber cloth and a bit of alcohol and um and then use your top-up lube yes yeah perfect okay uh what about people that uh are really lazy so like they're they're too lazy. They don't want to even consider waxing. It's they've already ruled it out despite all the data. Uh, they they think that uh, potentially even degreasing a chain is too much. Yeah. Um, what do you recommend for those people? Really, you're going to be looking at just your top um, wet lubricants. You can't really add your top chain coating lubricants over the top of factory grease. Um, again, I think I think even hopefully the laziest can spray something you know, onto their chain that is going to do a good job of removing the bulk of the, fact of the factory grease and then move to just one of the top lubricant choices that they think is going to suit them uh, for their riding, uh, be it a top wet lube or a top um, sort of chain coating lube if they can do a decent job of just, you know, doing an on-bike factory grease removal. It's one of those things where if you're going to be super lazy and just uh, leave the factory grease on and then just apply something on over the top and hope, uh, again, the better lubricants will do better than the, than the poorer lubricants by a pretty good margin, but you're going to be nowhere near the ballpark of what you could be achieving with your super low wear rates and cleanliness versus if you just spent that, you know, sort of 10 minutes at the start. So, yeah, you're going to sort of pay for it um, if, if you don't do something. And there's there's options. There's always, yeah, good options there. So Okay. Uh, and we discussed this briefly before, but uh, best long-lasting lubricants for the people that are going out on long rides, maybe 200k plus on the weekend or doing a big gravel event or even maybe an overnight thing? What what are you recommending? Yeah, so there's a, quite a few these days. So uh, most, I mean, even your sort of chain coating lubricants, which I guess don't outright have the longest lasting lifespan. Um, so in good road conditions, they're about 300 kilometers. Uh, Off-road conditions, you know, depending on how dusty and how abrasive it is, it's going to drop to, you know, maybe it might be 150 to 200. It's going to be enough for the bulk of people's events. Really only the most extreme length events are going to stretch those. Um, for those that do that, then um, then your immersive waxes are going to last pretty much, you know, any sort of dry event, at least anyway, uh, of, of any length of hundreds of kilometres because you're putting on 100% lubricant as opposed to sort of half of what you're putting on being carrier. Um it's really if somebody needs something longer than a few hundred kilometres treatment lifespan, um, maybe they've got a stage race or um, multi-day, like they're bikepacking, things like that, then if it's road, you've got some great wet lubricant options, like so Synergetic's very long-lasting, um, Revo Lubes is very long-lasting. Um, I'll mention Graphen Lube. Graphen Lube is very long-lasting, but it's crazy, crazy expensive, so that's super niche. 
from from absolute from black. absolute black. Yep, yep. not graphene wax. Um, so graphene lube tested extremely well, although extremely expensive. Graphene wax tested really, really badly. Uh, they dispute that, of course. But um, <laughs> again, wear rates and physics—they're hard to sort of uh, hard to get around. Um, and yeah, as the one I was mentioning before, so fairly recently on uh, on test and just setting some new longevity records in in dry conditions has been um, the Rex Black Diamond. Uh, that that one is going to be a bunch of fun in that um, for some people, I think there'll be a use case um, for that for some people, a bit like what Synergetic already has been for some, um, is that if you've got, say, a dedicated ergo bike or you're just somebody who likes to re-lube very infrequently, this just really takes that to another, another level again. Depending on how much somebody trains on their ergo, it could be like a yearly lube um you know and and just yeah extremely long re-lube intervals for for road riding um and for i would say really just for certain event cases to put the race day liquid on because it's pretty expensive um and get crazy longevity for for you know off-road stuff um but yeah so there are some really long lasting um wet lubricants out there wet lubricants do tend to be or the top ones in that space do tend to be longer lasting versus your wax and chain coating but again, your malt speed wax, your hot melt, I don't know what event you would do that would um, be beyond the lifespan of those. Um, your chain coating lubricants, some of the longer ones may start to stretch that, but it's going to be pretty rare. Um, I do have single application longevity test data for um, most of the top lubricants on the, the website as well. So that if you've got a, you know, for road, for dry off road and for extreme conditions, um, so you'd be able to have yep. a look and think, okay, I'm doing an event. It's going to be this long and it's going to be this conditions. Uh, will this lubricant last? So, um, yeah. What are, uh, what are some of the, the, the worst examples on that list? Uh, oh, let me pull that back up. But um, I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't populated that with as many, with many bad lubricants. I did um, introduce – Because it's a relatively new test for you, right? The, the new old... test, yeah. I scrapped the old protocol because it just wasn't yeah. as good as the new one. And – so I'm sort of restarting the data on that, but also a lot of the lubricants, if I test them and they're really quite poor performing in the main test, I don't bother doing the single application longevity test. There's just no point wasting the time and resources on that. Um, yep. But yeah, at the moment at the bottom, so probably the the the, the lesser lasting outright. Uh, so graphene wax is taking the bottom spot pretty much across the board. Um, there yeah. in pretty much all, all categories yeah it just it just um you know, the wear rate for that was really high straight from the bat so it's it's just eating through its wear allowance really quickly and then so in sort of dry condition so we've got sort of again even the bottom one so i've got ufo drip 2 or v2 which is the latest one but it's, we're still looking at an easy 300 kilometers um in normal conditions so um that's that's really about sort of getting as, as sort of low as i've got on my um, data for the road stuff. So all the ones on there are actually mostly pretty good because I just don't bother testing the poor ones in that in that actual test. So, but if, yeah, if people sort of yeah. check, uh, it's, it's I think for most it's it's going to be less about making it through a ride or an event, except for um, more extreme cases and more about convenience in terms of how often do I want to be you know relubricating my chain. Gotcha. On that topic, like what what are the telltale signs for people to look out for with their lubricant for knowing at you know at what point they're kind of hitting the limit of it, the longevity lim limit of it? What are there any any uh, 
consistent telltale signs? Yeah, so mostly it will start to, whether you're on a wet lube or a, um, a chain coating lube or wax, the chain will just start to feel and sound dry, basically. It's, it's um, hard to put it sort of, yeah, more, <laughs> more plainly, but um, if it goes from feeling silky smooth to feeling and sounding really dry, that's, that's the telltale one. Um, if it's starting to squeak, then that's your really bad telltale number two, uh, squeaking is the sound of metal on metal, and that's really high friction and high wear. Um, so uh, I find it amazing sometimes when you're out riding and you you pass somebody and you can hear their chain from a hundred meters away, and it's like, my goodness, yeah, how is that not driving you completely nuts? And sometimes, especially if it's on a really nice bike, you know, it's not like somebody's on some, you know, uh, Kmart special. They're on a you know five or ten thousand dollar <laughs> bike, and the chain is just making this cacophony yeah. of sound, and it's just like, what? It's going on. Why aren't you just dripping something on? Um, and so, yeah. So that's yeah. yeah. Obviously, hopefully, everyone knows that that's bad. But yeah, well before that, it will. It should be pretty obvious. Okay. Speaking of people wasting energy, um, what do you recommend for for the racers out there? What's what's the go to for someone that's really, uh, I guess, you know, maybe doing a, a a criterium or a road race on the weekend, or you know, maybe it's a short mountain bike race, and they're just really uh, obsessed with efficiency. Longevity is not the biggest issue, but what about yeah. efficiency? So efficiency. So you've got really, I guess, two two ones. Um, first one is just to obviously make sure you've got a uh, chosen top fast lubricant, of which you know that that sort of data is all there. Um, and two is to if you race, you really should have a dedicated race chain. So it just doesn't really make a lot of sense to rock up to race on the same chain that you just hammered out your last, you know, X thousand kilometers or hours of, uh, of, of training on. So even like, even if you are running a good lubricant, chains just do so much work. And obviously they're completely exposed that, you know, as you clock up the thousands of Ks, they will lose efficiency. Um, and, you know, maybe it starts off as a watt, then two, then three, but you know, why... I guess have that penalty for a race when you can simply just have a dedicated race chain and you know a dedicated race chain doesn't cost you any more you're just pre-buying one chain so um, and then when your training chain reaches its recommended wear rate your race chain moves over to be your next training chain and you just buy one new chain as per normal to be your dedicated race chain so that's just a really sort of smart um, system to go with and, and if you've got a dedicated race chain it makes it very easy as well in between races um, you've now got time to if you wanted if you need to do some maintenance on that chain, you know you can clean and reset that um, you know uh, lubricant in that chain and get it back to mint ready for the next race very very easily, and it it's, can be pretty easy to keep a race chain at, at pretty much zero wear for you know a lot of races. Um, so it's going to serve you really well. Um, so that's that's I guess you, yeah two two easy quick wins is is just lubricant choice to start with and, and having that dedicated race chain and training chain. Yep. So, uh, submersion wax is still king of the low efficient, uh, the highly efficient options, right? Yeah. In purely speed terms. So whilst immersive waxing is going to yeah. deliver the longest wear rates overall over, over, you know, time and lifespan of the chain, when it comes to outright speed, the top waxes and your top, um, known chain coating lubes like SS drip and UFO drip, um, they're just, they're all really, really fast. So, um, you know, they're going to be within sort of about, you know, half to a fraction of a watt. Um, so whether, 
you know, UFO drippers for you versus, um, you know, if you're not going to be faffed with immersive waxing, you're going to be on a super fast lube. And same with like your SS drip. I think that was only 0.5 watts lower, I think, from memory versus UFO drip, according to um, Ceramic Speed's own testing. So, you know, they've, they've got these um, ranked really closely. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, we've we've discussed the the topic of testing before and, yes. and yep. why, I guess, you and ICE um, actually truly believe what ceramic speed claim when it comes to their testing so it's a it's a previous episode so if you've got any questions there definitely uh listen to that episode because uh we had jason smith former uh friction facts now uh technical head of uh what is he cto of ceramic speed head of driven uh, driven I, I think he's pretty much just driven now um he's moved yeah but, yeah, okay. but he's great that we still get to pester him with uh, with questions in his super busy life but um i i also did, recently did a um one of my sort of youtube videos just covering um, I guess the sort of basket case that is lubricant efficiency testing uh, globally at the moment. Um, but, yeah, mm-hmm. the short version is that yeah, the ceramic speed um, testing process has carried over from the friction facts days and that if they were going to be fudging numbers, they would have their competitors a lot further away. Like the closest one to them is only 0.2 of a watt slower than the UFO. Um you know, they, if they were going to be trying to show themselves as looking great versus the competitors, they're not going to have five key competitors within about half a watt of their own fastest loop. They're going to be showing them uh, as, as notably slower. So, yeah, there's a huge amount of integrity in, in their testing, which is why I rely on them for the outright efficiency data on, you know, to go with my wear rate testing. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Uh, something we touched on before, just uh, for the people doing bike packing and stage racing and... Uh, uh, maybe flash packing or, or whatever it is, multi-day events. What's what's your go-to recommendation there? Um, you know, someone that doesn't have access to a crock pot, they probably don't want to carry the extra weight of a, a spare wax chain. Uh, what what are you recommending? Okay, so my first one was going to be probably pack a spare wax chain, but um, yeah, uh, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> so no, it really depends. Like, if it's going to be dry, then you're going to be perfectly fine like if you start with say a wax or a chain coating type lubricant like ss drip ufo true tension um you are going to get through that multi-day event or bike packing trip perfectly fine just by starting with that because they're so lovely contamination resistant start to finish just reapplying that lube at the end of each day uh, or end of each second day depending on how uh, long and harsh the days have been things are going to be golden so yeah you definitely don't have to worry about um uh, packing a crock pot which would be most inconvenient um, or Josh has his sous vide bag if you want to do it around the campfire at night in the um, in the in the uh, billy pot there. Um, if it's going to be wet though, um, again, if it's a race, it's really going to be dependent on how much do you want to now start to lose in friction and wear losses. If it's not a race, it's really about how much do you want to be wearing through your lovely parts. So again, there's just no getting around the fact that abrasive contamination is going to be thrown into your chain and become part of the lubricant. So you can add more lube over the top and it's going to be better. But, um, yeah, especially if it's a race, if you can pop a fresh prepped chain on, then you are back to a super low friction chain ready for that next day stage. So uh, it's one of those things where especially if it's a longer stage race, like where if it's going to be four or five or even seven days, um, definitely packing some spare chains to be able to go back to zero uh, in terms of contamination and back to an ultra low friction chain because a lot of your competitors won't and if they go 
you know, flag to flag over those stages, and it's, especially if it's been wet, they could start with a four watt chain and finish with a 12 to 15 watt chain. Uh, and so you can beat that by quite some margin. Yeah, I've, I've mentioned this before. Um, I mean, I haven't raced the Cape Epic, but I've done a couple yeah. of stages as as media. And on one day we had a bit of uh, we had a bit of rain, and I was on a brand new bike with a brand new one by group set on it. Yeah. So everything fresh, everything as good as it can be. Uh, and about seventy kilometers in, the conditions were so bad that I was actually throwing the chain. The chain wouldn't physically <laughs> stay on the chain ring. Yes. Um, and in hindsight, that was a few years ago. I wasn't doing chain waxing at the time. But in hindsight, if I were doing chain waxing and if I had a wax chain on that bike, I would have ridden through that stage without problem and probably yeah. made up a hundred places. Yeah, absolutely. Just purely based on chain chain yeah. of choice. So don't don't underestimate it. No. So and when we think about next day, so if we have a look at say this year's Paris Roubaix. That was pretty um, pretty rough stuff. So now most events, obviously, your stages are going to be nowhere near that long. But even if we take, say, the final 50 kilometers of that race, there's not going to be a pro team. Like if there was another stage the next day, there is not going to be a single rider out there in those teams that is going to start the next day on the chain they finished the day before on, um, unless somehow they obviously basically did manage to do a perfect reset of that chain overnight. They're not going to send them back out having just slapped some more lubricant on the chain and go, here you go, race today on this chain that you just finished 50 Ks of, of mud um, the, the day before. So it's kind of like if there's a reason why they're not doing it at that level and um, there's uh, some pretty big reasons why you shouldn't really do it at any level if you're racing, um, even if you don't really care about what place you come, it's just going to eat through the chain and drivetrain. It's it's all that grit is just going to still be in there. So um yeah, so in, in case like that, if you know that your multi-day event is going to be wet, then definitely pack um, some chains because, um, and again, you're always going to need another chain. So pre-buying another chain to pop on halfway or two chains, at really, they can just move over to be training chains as needed or you've got you know, extra race chains for your, uh, for your racing life. And uh, some, yeah, just again, it's just such a, such a much smarter way to roll. So it's a... Easiest watt savings versus you could spend so much money trying to get those watt savings out of bearings and you will not get anywhere close. Good advice. We're coming towards the end of the list. I've got one left on the list, which uh, may just get people to switch off right away as I mention it, but uh, <laughs> e-bikes. Yes. <laughs> so uh, especially e-mountain bikes. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a booming segment of cycling. Mm. Uh, I have a lot of friends that have ditched their regular analog bikes and yep. gun e-bikes and... Uh, you know, friends that actually have fitness that they don't need a motor, but they've just decided there's there's more fun in this category. Yeah. What do you? There's some issues there though, because uh, adding a motor to a bike with the same exposed drivetrain seems to accelerate wear on drivetrain components. Yes. So what uh, what are you suggesting here? Yeah. So there's, I guess, again, two things to be just really mindful of. So one is that when you're riding off road, um, your treatment lifespan for lubricants is going to be a lot less than when it is on road. So a lot of um, you know claims are say distance related, but 300 kilometers of road is going to be really equivalent to say about 150 kilometers of, of off road. Um, but lubricant lifespans are also really linked to how much power you're putting through them. So somebody dawdling around is going to get a much longer treatment lifespan than somebody who's absolutely smashing out the power. So um, yeah, EMTBs have got the double combination of their off-road, so treatment lifespan is going to be shorter because of the, the dust that's there, and two, 
Um, uh, and, and purely you just don't travel as far for the pedal strokes. You do a lot more pedal strokes to go X distance. And then, yeah, two is you add all that extra motor power and torque in there, then you're going to be um, shortening that treatment lifespan as well. So the, the keys to trying to get some decent lifespan out of your EMTB drivetrain, which not many are doing well on that at the moment. So this is actually, I, I put that in there because it is becoming a topic that I'm just getting more and more emails from around the world from EMTB riders asking, well, like, man, I just blitz through my drivetrain in pretty short order and I don't want to sort of do that that fast again. What, what are the best options? So number one, obviously off-road, if you really can avoid it, don't use a wet lubricant. Um, so referring back to the top chain coating lubricants, having 10 times less the wear rate of the top wet lubricants tested and much, much worse again for the not top wet lubricants tested. Um, and two is just not to push treatment lifespans. Um, is you just, you, you as much as possible want, again, everything sliding on a solid coating of slippery lubricant. You don't want the chain metal coming into play. Um, and so just realizing that your treatment lifespans are going to be a lot less for an EMTB than they are going to be um, without having your motor in there and erring on the side of caution and reapplying or rewaxing much more frequently than you would probably likely expect. Don't worry about are you going to be using more lubricant um, or more wax? It will pay you back many times over in, in what you save in drivetrain wear. So chain coating lubricant or immersive wax and, um, and just really staying on, on top of making sure everything's coated. Uh, for a lot of people, that actually does mean, but one of the best things is, is a couple of chains on rotation because it makes it easy then to stay on top of it. You can pop one chain off, pop the next one on, and then re-wax or retreat the the other one. Um, and that has the advantage as well is that you are then guaranteed to get two chains through your uh, cassette as opposed to accidentally ripping past the wear rate mark on the single chain, which which can happen all too quickly, um, and just getting caught out with needing to buy a new cassette. And things like even like a GX cassette in Australia is like $300. Um, you know, why not have that last twice as long? Um, so, yeah, so... EMTBs, absolutely, I would have a couple of chains on rotation and, yeah, top chain coating lubricants or immersive wax and you will just, you'll save a fortune. Okay. And and by the sounds of it, the same thing applies to uh, anyone on a gravel bike or a mountain bike that have their own motor in their body. Yes. Yep. Again, the, the more you do. So if you do some avid miles or kilometers off-road in the dust, um, I think one of the things, and this is going to be especially true if you are, for some reason, still using a wet lubricant off-road, um, is but just always remember that that with drip lubricants, uh, wear rates on chains are generally not linear at all. So to start with, you have a low amount of or a rel relatively lower amount of contamination as part of the lubricant, and you've got some coatings and protections that are in the higher level chains to protect against wear. And so people can check after, say, a 1,000 kilometres and think, huh, it's um, looking pretty good. And then they check a 1,000 kilometres later and it's ripped past it because the second half they've had, they've been running a much more uh, abrasive mix of uh, lubricant than what they did in the first 1,000 and they've, their comp you know, coatings and wear protections have been compromised by that point and so things are just progressing much more quickly. And so, again, if you've got a couple of chains on rotation and if you ride a lot, why not just have three? Again, you're just going to get then three chains through your cassette uh, and chain ring without needing to replace it. Um, and you're going to spend three times the amount of time in a, in a really nice low friction spot. So 
Um, yeah, and it does make it easy just to stay on top of maintenance. So there are just so many benefits, especially if you do any sort of decent miles, are off-road, have a motor, to, to having a, a look at a multiple chain approach because, you know, why not? Why why just save it until you've ripped through the chain and need a new cassette to buy a new chain? So to me that, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, great. Anything that uh, you feel we haven't haven't mentioned that people uh, probably should know or, or do you think we've uh, hit it all? Yeah, I think pretty much mostly covered. I think that there'll be one point I'll make which has uh, come up a few times, especially on some forums and things like that where, uh, and this is, this is most prevalent to um, SRAM. So SRAM um, with their Eagle um, from X01 level up, so, um, for instance, GX and NX chains still wear really quickly, but um, X01 and XX1 chains have just amazing wear durability. The, the hard chrome treatment that uh, SRAM use on those chains is, is really something. So it's, there's nothing on the market that has the wear durability uh, in the chains like what the SRAM X01 and XX1 chains have. And so there's been a bit of conflation um, of where people have, say, gone from the previous 1x11, uh, or they might have had 2x11 if they were on Shimano, they've now gone to Eagle X01. And at some point in that journey, they've changed lubricants to a new lubricant. And then they've attributed this amazing increase in you know, drivetrain longevity to the lubricant. And in almost all cases, it's not the lubricant. It is the amazing longevity of having a tool hard steel cassette and an amazingly long-lasting chain and that if you're impressed with what you attained uh, with that lubricant choice, just check to see if it's one of the top that we've tested and, you know, you could be in for a, a huge fun surprise again as to just how long you can get. Um, and you can get um, just still like on the, the top lubricant choices um, on, on like X01, XX1, you just get phenomenal um, lifespan. So, um, and, and that probably raises... Yeah, that probably brings up, like speaking of SRAM chains, like this is something that um, you and I have, well, I've written about it in my, uh, in the Chainware article, the Chainware yeah. Bible, um, and, and that's something you great, help greatly with. But um, those chains, um, their roller diameter is ever so slightly bigger than standard, yeah. which can throw off the, the wear indicators on some Chainware tools. Yes. Uh, and then obviously with the, the Axis flat top chain, which is also incredibly durable, um, for 12 speed road um that roller diameter is just different again and most chain wear checkers on the market are not compatible with that chain no and confusingly for some of those so the the uh normal eagle chains it's a bit but it's it's not so much that it really throws things out uh too badly so um uh so especially on the lower level chains like gx and nx you'll you'll see the wear rates on those very quickly uh but x01 you, you've you've probably got to say maybe it's going to be under reading by maybe sort of 10 to 20 percent on your chain wear checker so sort of just to keep that in mind but um there are some tools out now like say for instance i think it's the park tool cc 3.4 which claims to but like, that's a drop-in checker and it claims to be compatible with access road as well and yeah the cc4 yep yeah and i can't yet quite see how that is possible because if it's going to be accurate to a 0.5 mark with a standard diameter roller then you just can't get the same accurate measure with oversized roller. So it is going to still be hitting a good amount of roller on an axis road chain um, at a, say, a X same elongation wear, true elongation wear than if it's a smaller roller. Um, so I don't, I don't quite know how that tool is claiming to be compatible with both when there's no 
change in, in the um, graduation mark uh, or the wear replacement mark or if you're on a standard 11 by 1 to 8 chain versus the, uh, the oversized roller access road. So there are some tools out there which I, I think really make chain wear checking a bit more tricky than it should be. Um, and I, I haven't – I've still got to check a bit further for, for what's going to be maybe an easy and not too expensive um, you know, chain wear checker for access road with the oversized rollers. Um, but in general, though, obviously staying on top of chain wear – um, even if, if you're on access road and it just means simply getting out the digital calipers um, and just measuring, you know, from basically 10 pins, which is say 10 links and it's going to be 127 mil and you're looking for 0.5% on that. So um, staying on top of your chain wear for those systems because the parts are so expensive, um, yeah, it's just, again, it's going to be your best friend to, to just be on top of that. Especially if you've got a bike with a, a power meter, that's part of the chain. Yes, yes indeed. So um, I don't know whose idea that was, but <laughs> that's, uh, that was one of the most surprising reads, I think, of the last couple of years was to integrate the power meter into a, a wear component that costs so much. So, uh, yeah, stay on top of your chain wear. It's the modern Kodak throwaway camera, isn't it? Uh, yes. Yeah, so that, that's been, been fun. But, yeah, I mean, if you're on... If you're on a drivetrain system where your cassette costs $700 and your train rings cost $1,500, if we sort of haven't really hammered that in by the end of this one, um, it, it will obviously just be very, very clever of you to make sure you're not running your chains too long and to be running a lubricant that stays very slippery. Okay. That sounds like a pretty good place to wrap things up. Thank you, Adam. Thanks for joining the Nerd Alert podcast. And uh, I'm sure uh, we will be having you back on again in the future yeah no again thank you very much for having me on and uh yeah being willing to sort of run through the key learnings for my nerdy little work for the last uh five years so um yeah it was a bit of a, a large update to the document since the uh the initial one that i published so i i did a um a dave Rome plus i think it's over eleven thousand uh words so yeah i'm not allowed to publish that many words <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i am i just can't uh, i can't help myself um concise is, is not my strong point i just think nope they need they need to know and understand hopefully each each point but yeah so for those of you that are looking at the key learnings document um and see that it's uh i think it's about 43 pages the best way to tackle it is look up the section that's relevant to you and just read that section uh or if you're obviously full nerd curious then just do like one section a day over a cup of coffee um, and I will be getting to do a video version of it soon, which me talking, it'll probably come out to 50,000 words, but, um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get that up on video form as well. All right. Well, yeah, we've, uh, distilled your 10,000 words plus into roughly an hour on a podcast. So I think we did pretty well. Yeah. Pretty good for us. That's a wrap on this week's deep dive episode. This is a topic that's constantly changing, and you can bet that Adam of Zero Friction Cycling is burning through drivetrains in order to keep adding more lubes to his comparative data. You can find more information at Zero Friction Cycling. Additionally, I'm slowly working on a best chain lube article that summarizes some of the key points discussed in this episode, along with some information on the friction side of the equation. If you like this episode, then please consider leaving a review, and please tell your friends. Thanks for tuning in.